Hello, welcome to the fourth episode of the Inland Valley Art and Literature Show. This is Mark Givens. We've got quite the show for you this time, information about Voices Against Violence, Tim Hatch in conversation with George Hammonds, and April is National Poetry Month. So here's Alan Kalachi with some more information. Alan? All right, thanks, Mark. Uh, yeah, I also work at the Rancho Cucamonga Public Library. And in the spirit of National Poetry Month, which is April, of course, the cruelest month, right, <laughs> as it's been written, um, there should be a whole lot of uh, activities going on all around. And I'm here to tell you about one happening at the library I work at, which is the Poly Beyond Library in Rancho Cucamonga at the Victoria Gardens Mall. So for this event, we're going to have a poet and author, Matthew Callier, who's written um, some great stuff. He's done novels and poetry, quite a distinguished uh, body of work that he has. So he's going to be talking a little bit about the poetry uh, process. But we're also going to give the floor over to actual poets as well, to share their poetry as well, and also have some fun with poetry. So even if you're shy about your writing, don't know if you've quite got it out there or need some inspiration, we're going to be offering some of that also as we'll have blackout poetry where you take a old paperback from our extensive collection of old paperbacks at the library and black out whatever words you don't want and see what you're left. We'll have magnetic poetry duels. We'll also have cookies. So even if you just want to listen to poetry and have cookies and some tea and water, we'll have that too. And we would like this to be open for teens and adults it's going to be again at 6.30. It should be a really great night to kind of call attention to it and have fun. This is Alan Kalachi for the Inland Valley Art and Literature Show. Hello, I am Nikia Cheney, and I am so excited to introduce you to a program called Voices Against Violence, a partnership with the Garcia Center for the Arts and the Inlandia Literary Institute. In our program, we will bring you writing and art workshops all throughout the month of April that focus on healing from the violence in our communities, from the violence in our homes, and the violence in ourselves. From these workshops, we will create a public exhibit that will bring these issues into view. I want to introduce you right now to our workshop leaders. Alison Gerfredo is the author of Songs After Memory from Finishing Line Press and the winner of a spoken word immersion grant for her work at Salinas Elementary. Micah Tasaka is the author of Expansions from Jammy Press with poetry performances throughout Southern California. They have been featured in Riverside, Los Angeles, Long Beach, and Palm Springs. Lydia Theon Wereye's writing workshops for the homeless was featured this year in the Press Enterprise, and she has performed in community workshops throughout the Inland Empire. And Lisa Henry is a community leader, arts educator, and arts curator with experience at Visual Voice, the Japanese Gallery Museum, the University Gallery of UC San Diego, and the MAK Center for Art and Architecture. Hello, 
My name is Lisa Henry, and I am one of the workshop leaders for the Voices Against Violence Project. The workshops I will be leading will focus on art and how creative techniques can be used to help us express our experiences of violence and also how visual art can help us process and deal with uh, the traumatic effect of seeing and experiencing violence in our communities, violence in our relationships, and confrontation on a daily basis. Um, people, and especially kids and young adults, are experiencing these events firsthand. And for young people, when you see violence firsthand, when you're experiencing it, it's just uh, like something uh, that uh, can affect you very deeply. It's not like something you see on TV or in a video game. It has serious effects and it impacts you in ways that maybe are difficult to know how to deal with. These days we are seeing violence uh, publicized on TV and social media but we're also, as communities, experiencing violence firsthand. And it's a serious issue. Events like what happened in Florida recently and what's happened, violent actions that have happened in our own community in San Bernardino, on campuses and in public space, these are issues that we need to deal with on many levels personally, as community, and also in the justice system and our policing and uh, security systems. But what I'm interested in primarily with these workshops is giving the community uh, an opportunity to really not only express themselves, but have a platform for discussion and also uh, opportunities to heal and process what's happening day to day in our communities. I'm very honored to be part of the Voices Against Violence Project and I'm looking forward to these workshops as a way of dealing with something that is so prevalent but often is only sensationalized in the media. Dealing with violence is unfortunately a regular occurrence for many young people in our communities. And I think that this project will help to give voice to people that are dealing with things day to day and also offer opportunities for healing. Hello, my name is Lydia Florence Theon Wherei, and I am wellness poet, a self-taught healing writer whose words give solace to the forgotten. I am teaching a Voices Against Violence two-day workshop entitled Scribbles and Squalls, How Do You See Me? This workshop deals with self-violence, our own inner dialogue violence that wrecks havoc on our psyche and our well-being. I do this because, in my past, I've had an inner maniacal critic that has debilitated my, my mind and my spirit 
for years. But through poetry, I've changed my inner voice to a voice of power, beauty, and truth. All are welcome to Scribbles and Scrawls, a workshop of changing your inner chat, your self Snapchat, your soul chat. I leave you with a haiku titled Thoughts. Thoughts. Because I say so, my mind creates new pathways. Sorrow ceases now. I hope that Scribbles and Scrawls, this workshop, will lead you to your own inner lion, your own inner roar. Hope to see you soon. Look for the day. Bye. Hello, my name is Micah Tasaka, and I am one of the workshop leaders for Voices Against Violence. I identify as a queer, mixed Japanese poet and healer born and raised in Colton, California, and you can find out more about me on my website, micahtasaka.com. One of the things I want to focus on in my workshop is how trauma gets stored in the body and how we can access healing through our bodies, poetry, and performance. This workshop is open to anyone who wants to move, explore, write, and heal. It is for people of all skill levels and abilities, so you do not have to be a dancer or poet to be in this workshop, although I do also welcome dancers and poets. Um, I hope this workshop will provide a healthy outlet for my community and help folks find empowerment within themselves, and I hope that the Voices Against Violence project continues the conversation about violence within our communities and how we can change and heal instead of reproduce that violence. And I wanted to end by doing an excerpt from one of my poems called Reduction. But tonight, feel free to crack if you need to. Drop your eggshells onto me, I will turn them into dirt. When my magic meets your magic, I will provide the spit to create the mud to set the blind ones free and learn to push miracles out my hands and make the rocks gush forth with water beneath them. Release your anger in solitude, release your tears in the wind and soon you will boil down, boil down to your reduction, stir with honey and make yourself sweet again. Thanks very much and I hope to see you at the workshop. Hello, my name is Allison Jafredo and for the Voices Against Violence program, I'm going to be conducting family-oriented workshops with a day focusing um, on parents and an alternate day focusing on kids and then bringing both um, the parents and children together in order to work on my project, which is called Journals of Healing. And I hope that these journals and these different days and workshops will help both the children and the parents learn how to cope and heal with violence that they've undergone either um, within the family unit or um, outside of that and I'm really interested in this program because when I was younger I grew up in a really violent household um, it was very abusive both physically and verbally and I realized a lot of those issues or because my parents didn't know how to deal with um, like violence and things themselves and so that's the way that they also treated us and like this strange circle of violence that ends up taking place because we just never know how to handle complicated issues within ourselves and within the larger family unit 
And so hopefully um, somehow through these workshops, we'll be able to create at least a, a beginning discussion on how to create healthy coping mechanisms for both our children and our families. Thank you. For more information about this program or more information about how to participate, please contact the Inlandia Institute at inlandiainstitute.org. Voices Against Violence was made possible by a generous grant from the California Humanity of the Arts. We so hope you will join us and raise your voice by coming to a workshop or sending work in, your poems, your stories, your art, and raise your voice too with us against violence. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Tim Hatch with the Inland Valley Art and Literature Show. Uh, today I was fortunate enough to have an excellent conversation with my good friend and local poet, George Hammonds. He uh, came over to my kitchen, where I hope it wasn't too echoey, and we had a good long conversation about poetry, a little bit about his background, a little bit about uh, how he approaches the craft. He's a local poet, been very active in the Inland Empire and surrounding areas uh, literature scene for the last six years, a little more than that probably. Uh, he's been published in the Pacific Review, the Cadence Collective Anthology, which is out of Long Beach, the American Mustard Anthology, and the Incandescent Minds Anthology. He was very generous with his time. This conversation went a bit long. The entire uncut conversation will be available on the website. So I hope you enjoy what you hear, and here's me and George talking in the kitchen. This is Tim Hatch, and I'm talking to George Hammonds. He's a wonderful local poet here in the Inland Empire. And uh, and getting back to uh, George, you brought over a bunch of... Uh, oh, hey, this is signed. Yeah. You brought over a bunch of books by poets uh, you're currently reading or who inspire you. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, but uh, not to interrupt, but you were... Uh, please continue with what you were saying about Emily Roots. Oh, okay. No, she, um, you know, she's um, much older than this now, but this was a book that she had. She's not published anywhere else, I don't think. Oh, okay. And so this was a book that she had when I went to a reading. And then when I um, actually started reading the poems, mm -hmm. it was like she had a couple that I felt like were just like, this is really good, you know, for somebody who was in college at yeah. the time, you know, putting, yeah. putting this work out. So, and then um, I brought um, Elephants by Nisel Davis, who I love her as a poet. Um, this book i've never heard of it this book was um written by her illustrated by cheryl gross okay and um a portion of the proceeds go to an elephant rescue in like north carolina hmm. where these elephants who were previously working in circuses or you know whatever condition are kind of retired to and cared for and many of them have been abused previously and it's just like you know like her uh the thing about her is kind of like the imagery is so beautiful. And I mm. struggle with that. You know, it's like, you're, you're always kind of like looking for how to express an image mm -hmm. in a poem. Mm -hmm. And I just love the way that she does that. And when you hear her read, she's just like, she's one of my favorite readers, you know, nice. to, to go and see. I grew up during a time, um, and I think it, you're know, like in my writing, you know, you mm -hmm. can kind of see it. I grew up in a time when um, I went to Catholic school for all of my education. Oh, wow. And um, what I think is that people were bigots, and I just thought that they were mean. 
and <laughs> they okay. have a way of kind of making you like I I was not a good student until I was in high school mm -hmm. and um, when I got to high school I was okay and um, I went two years in Phoenix to a Catholic high school two years in um, California actually in Watts California to an all-boys Catholic high school <laughs> and when I got to Verbum Day in um, Watts I became like you know 3.7 GPA you wow. know I, I mean I went from being a a low C student mm -hmm. to being almost an A student in a year wow and it was because I just kept my mouth shut and listened you know I was a quiet student all the time and uh, when I was in Arizona, it's just like, I just felt like nothing I could do was right, you know? And so I think that that, you know, that, that uh, contributes to kind of like having low self-esteem. So that, that leads me to wonder what, I mean. Well, I, I think that the, the thing um, in Arizona, it was a tougher curriculum. Mm -hmm. So um, when I got to high school in California, even though it was an all boys, primarily black, um, Catholic school, I think that the lessons were not as hard. And um, I think that because I was relatively quiet, the teachers didn't really know me because I got there in 11th grade. I kept my mouth shut. I turned in papers when they were due. Um, and then there's another part of this I'm going to have to get back to, but I turned in my papers when I was due. I was not in any trouble. Mm -hmm. So I think that I think that who you are affects your grades sometimes, especially in places like high school and elementary school. You know, the teacher is looking at your paper and they're thinking about you because they mm -hmm. know you, you know. So it's like I had people who didn't, they, all they could judge me on was my work in a way. And I was doing my work. And now the other part of that was um, my last two years of high school, I had a job at a library. And I always tell people the best job I ever had. Mm -hmm. um, I was a page at a library. My primary function was to reshelve books that came back in after being checked out by patrons. And um, as I was shelving books, I would read everything. And I might not, I might just read four pages or something. But I used to be a hell of a trivial pursuit player because mm -hmm. I knew something about every subject almost. That's so and cool. Yeah. So um, I think that you know I was constantly thinking you know i was constantly you know, like oh you know here's a here's a book by you know langston hughes or and i mean and that also really contributed to to what I, you know what i'm doing now in terms of poetry that's definitely well and, and it's like you know like i would read the newspaper uh -huh. i would read um you know and, and again this was like a library in a black community so it had like a lot of um you know uh in, in terms of the books coming in, mm -hmm. there were a lot of black writers, you know, so um, the, the patrons were primarily Hispanic and black. And so um, what I was putting on the shelf would be something that, you know, the, the, the cover, the name would draw your attention and then, you know, make me want to find out more about it. So um, I think that those are things that kind of helped me. Um, and, and it was like um, when I came to California, um, when I, when I was in Arizona, I lived to play football. I mean, I lived to run track, I lived for sports. Mm -hmm. And when I came here, it was like, um, I felt as if the coaches were like um, crazy people. You know, I, like, it, it was like, I remember at one point, um, I looked and I said, I'm just gonna go get a job. I don't care about football anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was because they were really like abusive to the players. Oh, really? And wow. they, they were incompetent. 
but they had these positions. They were, and so anyway, you know, not to go on this whole negative. No, thing, no, 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 no. But um, you know, it it kind of like I was like, I'll get a job, and the job I got was at the library. So it was just like um, it really kind of turned around my focus from just trying to be a, a, an athlete to. I had to be a student, so yeah. it's just like, yeah. So when did you get into poetry? Was that in high school or after? No, um, it's funny. Um, I was thinking about it. I've been doing more readings recently, so I'm kind of thinking about how to put together, like, you know, what, what's a presentation when you go and read? Mm -hmm. Do you just read or do you talk to people? And so I've been kind of thinking about it. And um, really the things that I've come up with, and, and it's funny because you wrote a reading right. I think I talked about it. Um, I think I was impressed initially by, well, okay, I'm going to back up first. Um, when I was a little kid, we had a book at my house and it was like a treasury of children's stories or something. It was this weird little book and it had like the, the spiral binding, mm -hmm. you know, like, like the little uh, spring that the pages turn on. Mm -hmm. So it was like one of those and it had like Wee Willie Winky, the, oh, yeah, 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 the, yeah. the poem. Yeah. And it had wow. um, buy baby buntings. Uh -huh. Daddy's gone a hunting to catch a little rabbit skin to wrap his baby buntings in. <laughs> those freaked me out. I remember those. Yeah. Yeah, those were the first things that I could really read. When I was young, I had a really hard time learning how to read. And I'm still a slow reader. It's like at my readings, you know, people think I'm nervous, and it's just like my eyes jump ahead sometimes, and it's just like you know, uh, the process of seeing the word on the page sometimes gets jittery for me. And so I, so that was one of the reasons that I had trouble in school too, because like by the time I was in about fourth grade, I was reading okay, but I was reading really behind everybody else up until that point. And um, even then, I was going slow. But um, so I was reading this, you know, little simple book as a fairly young kid. You know, um, I got four older sisters; they would read like the story of the grasshopper and the ant and stuff like that out of this book. And this was like the book. This is like the, the children's Bible in my house back then. And so, um, so I always had like this affinity. I liked that pattern, kind of like. And then um, the cadence of the okay, of, yeah, of the, of, of the meter. I guess yeah, the meter of, of whatever the yeah. rhyme was or whatever. The, yeah. and, I guess those are poems. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. And so then um, I just have never thought of them that way. No, Wee Willie Winkie runs through the yeah, town, yeah, upstairs yeah. and down in his nightgown. That's a hundred percent a poem. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's so um, interesting. So then. Um, at a, still, you know, a, a relatively young age, Muhammad Ali came along, <laughs> and it was just like I was just like, I this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Like when he would talk about, like you know, um, and not just the float like a butterfly, but he would have something for so many fights, mm -hmm. and it, it, it was like um, so. So listening to that, and then listening to his sensibilities about how the world was, um, kind of like. It, it was just like um, he he was like a male figure to me because mm -hmm. my dad was like kind of like in and out mm -hmm. and he was never like he was never like a fatherly type of guy. Mm -hmm. um, I can never remember anything that he told me that matters now, you know, and so um, we have that in common. Yeah. yeah. So so Muhammad Ali was like this guy and it was just like, God, you know, he's, he's amazing. And so um, so that. And um, then working at the library. And while I was working at the library, I was putting books away. And so, so you know, so it's like from a little kid to a teenager. So at, at about um, 15 years old, 
I'm putting books away and I come across this book called uh, Small Talk on 125th Street in Lenox by Gil Scott Heron. Mm. And so um, everybody knows Gil Scott Heron from The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Mm -hmm. But this was like a, this was one of, one of his early books of poetry. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at his photo, he looked a lot like me, like the, the picture that they took. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was just like, I was writing poems then, okay. but it was like I was hiding and writing them because they seemed so uncool. You know, it's just like, you know, like something must be wrong with you. You're writing poems. Yeah. And then yeah. when I read what he was doing, it was like, no, this is okay. You know, like I can. What year was that? Oh, gee, that was probably in 71. Okay. Yeah, that was probably. So that's around the same time. What was it? Nikki Giovanni? Yeah. And a lot of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah, Last yeah. Poets. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the Last Poets, the Watts Prophets. I was, I was never into the kind of like the, the, bongo okay and like the group reading you know but, yeah. but i mean that was an that was an influence i was listening to their albums okay that's awesome man yeah well one thing i, I was going to say too is that um i remember you know years ago like you know sometimes i would i would read a poem because I, I mean i've i've read poems you know a lot of places and stuff um i've always like looked for an outlet you know to go and read poetry and i can remember at a time you know, especially with older black guys, where they would come up and say, "My wife writes poetry," and it's like, you know, okay, so what's what's the under what's the subtext there? What are you yeah. telling me? Yeah. So, like when you were saying, is like your yeah. friends are like, "Oh, did you turn gay?" So is it's that like the alpha thing. Yeah. Well, somehow this is feminine. Yeah. And um, and, and it's like my thing is always like, you can't be a warrior if you're not a poet too. You know, otherwise, <laughs> other than that, otherwise you're just a pawn. You know, <laughs> so, so you know what I mean. But okay. but again, it's just like you know, if you if you look at samurai or if you look at cultures where warriors were artists, right? And it's just like you know, I mean, so no, it's 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 like when you talk about, it's a space and time that's trying to stomp that out. It's not you know, like like again, to me, it's normal. And mm -hmm. so it's just mm -hmm. like you know, if you try if you try and beat that out of yourself. That's what's not normal, because it's there that de that desire to communicate, or yeah. you know, um, that desire to express or observe. Because like a lot of times, I look at like my poem may sound like it's telling you something, mm -hmm. but a lot of times to me, it's just saying. You know, it's it's not you know, it's not necessarily more like reporting. Yeah, you know, um, I'm trying to think. Of, I mean, it's not wise necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's just observant. Yeah, I guess that's the point. It's like it's like you know, like. Uh, like, I don't know. <laughs> but you're just calling attention to something you see. Yeah. And not necessarily, like, uh, creating something out of thin air. Or or trying to prescribe. Right. You know, you do what you need to do. You know, like, like I, I, got, I got a poem that says, you know, oh, you know, vote. You right, know? right. And that's kind of, you know, okay, yeah, that's kind of like, okay, this is what I think the sure. you know, cure for something is. But there's other ones that are just kind of like more... Um, just like like uh, what would you call almost like a meditation or something yeah I guess one or two more questions um, my first question is uh, so you've got what is your publishing history I imagine you've got uh, several poems published in various anthologies and I know you've got the book out which we definitely should mention hungry to bed by who published that uh, Arroyo Seco uh, Arroyo all right so uh, right um, Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas Thomas. Thomas Thomas. Who I'm actually teaching a, one of the, his other books oh, okay. um, this this semester at RCC. I'm teaching uh, Lloyd Aquino's collection. Okay. Um, 
Madeline after the phone. Uh, uh, but anyway, so you, what is your publishing history? And then I want to ask you about your uh, your work ethic. I'm really bad <laughs> in terms of publishing history. Um, normally, I'll have people who will ask me to submit something, mm -hmm. and I'll submit something. Mm -hmm. I've never been like you know. I I always tell people I think that I'm like um, I had a okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna trail off on something. I had a buddy who used to be a great tennis player. And um, we lived in Orange County, and so he would go to all these tournaments, like in uh, you know the beach areas and stuff. And he was beating these guys who were like you know number four hundred in the world on the tennis tour and stuff. And he had people who would approach him, and they would be like, oh, you know, they'd get all excited and they'd want to sponsor him. And they, you know, they, I mean, they wanted they would want to do something. And he was a machinist for a living, you know. So he, I mean, he was making good money. <laughs> And I always remember him, and, 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 and you know, we used to drink and stuff. And so I always remember him saying, I got a job. You know, I don't need you. And I used to be that, I mean, like, it's just like, I don't, I, like, in terms of, I, I, I have uh, poems that are published in an anthology called American Mustard. Mm -hmm. And that came about when I went to um, the summer arts program. At, oh, up the, yeah, in, up the in coast. Monterey, yeah, yeah, Monterey Bay. Yeah. Uh, Cal State Monterey Bay. Um, I met the guy who publishes that. He said, would you go submit something? So I was like, yeah. So then also... That was I, also where you met the Poet Laureate, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, Juan Felipe. Juan Felipe Herrera. Herrera. Yeah. yeah. So um, so I published in that. I published in... Um, uh, oh, no, I can't. Cadence Collective, mm -hmm. which is out of Long Beach. Sarah Thursday mm -hmm. publishes that for Sadie Girl Press. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, um, I had submitted some stuff um, to their online publication, mm -hmm. and um, then I wound up being published in there. Um, I have a poem that I, I have something that was published in um, kind of like in, in uh, Arizona. Um, it's one of their weekend, like their weekend calendar. Mm -hmm. So I have poems that are published there. Um, let me see where else. It's like I, I'm notorious. I, I don't. I, I really, in a lot of regard, don't understand the process. And so you're um, not so much about like blanket submissions. You're no, just, you're I, I've more never selective it. and a lot more careful about where you submit. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and, and it's like I probably will try and do more because like I'm, I'm working on a, like a full fledged book right now. Oh yeah. So. Um, like a full like uh, collection, like 96 pages or whatever. Full collection. Nice man. Oh man, I I, I got a lot of poems. I believe I, I have a lot of poems. And so um, I'm, I'm looking at, um, I've, I've, I finally have like this idea that I've been able to kind of wrap my head around and to look at saying, okay, this is what I want to do, the type of, the type of work I want to do. But I've been notorious for not sending out like a bunch of, because I, I listen to people and I, you know, it's like you're kind of, you know, you have, you always have to write your own bio. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I'm writing my bio and it's like, God, you know, I'm looking at somebody else's and it's like, God, this is so impressive. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, um, I'm a local poet, so you know, I mean, I, I think yeah. that I really reflect. I was that. a lot more aggressive about it before I was in grad school. Yeah, because I figured that would only help my chances of getting into grad school. Uh, yeah, and so I got published. I don't know, maybe a little less than a dozen times before I got accepted into grad school. Yeah. And in grad school, I like it was almost like carpet bombing these publishers. <clears throat> I think I've got maybe thirty publication credits yeah. all one or two poems somewhere but i haven't submitted this year yeah well okay i haven't submitted anything in 2017 and i have yet to submit something in 2018 okay it is march 10th yeah 
I maybe I'll submit this here. I, I mean, part of it is just time. It's a time-consuming process, and it's not creative work. Yeah, it's tedious, horrible crap. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I, that that part is that's not what I like. Yeah. And, and again, it was like you know, like I was always like I retired um, from Cal State San Bernardino in December of 2016, mm -hmm. and now I actually have no excuse not to try and submit more, mm -hmm. and I feel like my, like when you, when you say, well, what about your work ethic, I feel as though, you know, um, that's something that I can work on, you know, that's, that's something that <laughs> I can develop more so like a submitting ethic. And then like a writing ethic. But like, so that's, and that's, I guess what, uh, cause the, the work ethic, that's a pretty open-ended question. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and submitting is a whole different thing. I know, uh, people, uh, who have a crazy amount of publication credits to their name, but then there turns out there's someone else helping them submit mm -hmm. work or whatever, which, uh, you know, yeah. that's, that's a very good oh, yeah, that, yeah, fortune I mean, that, uh, you know, that not everyone's going to have that, but that's fantastic. And then. And that's not to say anything negative about those people. No. But because they're humans and they have limitations. Yeah. They have probably the same limitations you and I face, which well, is we've got stuff to do. But, you know, if you were a professional writer, mm -hmm. um, just, I mean, that's how you, you made the main mm -hmm. amount of your income or something, you'd be paying somebody to do that anyway. So if you if you can find somebody who's like, you know, like an agent or something but working yeah. on your behalf, yeah. you know, then... Some kind of yeah, more power to or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, how much of your time is spent? Um, how what? How do I want to phrase it? How do you? Uh, what is your process? Not for creating a poem, but like, what is your process for uh, creating for generative work? Because I mean, in my opinion, the art side of poetry is all revision. Mm -hmm. Having an idea is something that can occur while you're driving. Mm -hmm. I don't consider that to be an artistic endeavor. I consider that inspiration or whatever. And that's yeah. just random. Um, but how much of your time is spent generating work? How much time is spent? Um, and I'm talking about time in percentages here, not hours. But how much time is spent uh, revising? How much time is spent? Uh, how do you do you spend time uh, to address what you mentioned earlier about the writing part of poetry? And it's weird how this seems to be uh, not unique to poetry, but more common with poetry than with fiction. But um, how much time do you spend any time developing the performative side of mm -hmm. of the work? Because that is another reading a poem, reading a poem well. That is a completely different art. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so. How much of your time do you think you spend uh, generating some uh, generating work, and how much time do you spend revising? I'm bad. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's like I'm retired. I have all the time in the world, and um, I don't have a regiment in terms of writing. Mm -hmm. I can be real focused on writing for a period of time for a specific reason. So, it, 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 you know, case in point would be. Um, I had been asked to write a poem for an event. So it drew close to the time for the event. I had worked on a poem that I thought I was going to read. And I woke up one morning and all of a sudden my enthusiasm for that particular poem just wasn't there. Um, I started looking around on my computer and I had a portion of a poem that I had written. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it was like, no, do this, you know, but I had to finish it. So I worked on it daily 
for, you know, 20, 30 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. um, I save each draft mm -hmm. with its changes. And um, so, um, but I mean, but again, it was like, um, I don't save every change. So I had nine versions of this poem mm -hmm. with some differences of, mm -hmm. some, mm -hmm. of some type. Some were kind of like big differences that kind of took it in a different direction. And some were small. And I was working on draft number nine every day. And I just couldn't, it seemed like the more I tried to grab a hold of it, the more it wiggled, you know, and it's like, it's, just, it's getting away, it's getting away, you know. Mm -hmm. And I went back to, to, to version number five. Mm -hmm. And that wound up being the finished poem. Wow. So that's uh, really cool. I have revived poems yeah. so much that they were ruined. Yeah. And I had to go back to, I had to find a submission I sent. Yeah. Because I don't do that and I should. Yeah. But I had to find it. Well, so I just, I, I just, my, had... in my email outbox, I had to find what I sent to whatever publisher. Yeah. That was dumb. Well, I, I just put like, you know, I, I have like, you know, whatever one whatever two and it's, yeah. and it's like there's a point where you feel like okay i've revived i've changed enough here where this needs to be its mm -hmm. own mm -hmm. sa saved copy mm -hmm. so um like you know like when i'm when i'm focused like that um it's real important and, I, and plus i had a deadline so it's like you know like things like that yeah you know i'm gonna get in there and actually do the work and then other stuff it's like i'm writing more so for fun i'm not writing for a specific um, target and um, one of the things I want to do now is to do like a, a, a collection of poems and um, most of them are already written but it's like when you start editing and manipulating poems I think that you generate more stuff generally because all of a sudden you you look at it and you say oh well, I'm just gonna edit and then all of a sudden it's like oh that's actually another poem mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of like I like that process or that part of it that you know when you really start editing like a volume of poetry you generate more poetry and so um uh so i did like for the next month or so i i have a goal to be more regimented in my in my um, writing and editing but writing for the joy of writing the poetry if writing for fun man that's uh -huh. a that's awesome yeah that's awesome that i mean that almost sounds like that sounds like the same level of freedom as just writing a sucky poem. Yeah. That's, well, I mean, it is. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. that. You know, because at, at the end of, well, I mean, because, um, you know, I, I used to joke that, you know, um, uh, writing is like exercising. You know, if you get out and do push-ups, your arms will get strong. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, you know, you, you're doing those push-ups, those sucky poems. A hundred percent true. Yeah, you know, so it's it's just like, you know, you... Uh, it's easy to get weak, too. It is. You it's know, easy like, to get skinny and unhealthy. And <laughs> you need some oxygen. <laughs> yeah, so so it's just like, no, um, it's just like, I, I don't do it enough, but um, it's funny, like the past few weeks have been really busy for me. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, you know, like, it's like, okay, I feel more like, okay, well, you got to be more serious. Like when you're talking about preparing mm -hmm. to read a poem, mm -hmm. I'm terrible, you know, at um, that process because a lot of times I don't even like to think about what I'm going to read until I get there. You know, because it's like you walk in the room and oh, it's like, yeah, yeah. what do I feel like right now? You know, and it's like, I know, you know, so it's just like, no, um, I actually am so anal about that. I print out an entire thing and then break it apart into, okay, is this going to be a, because the crowd, if you can get a read on the crowd, that's going to change what you want to read. Yeah. So am I going to write a bunch of like sad boy, my life sucks poetry, or am I going to read a bunch of like yeah. more humorous stuff? Or, yeah. 
and I actually put together two, I like separate things out into two piles and then I just, which one of these am I going for? Well, you know, I, I would, I would actually like to get to the point where it's like, no, this is set. Yeah. This is a set. This is, this is a performance and it's a set. But the risk of that, I don't know. I would be worried about that starting yeah. to lose a little bit of well, its energy. But again, it's just like, um, Hamilton is the same every night. The energy may be different. So good point. You know, the, the energy may be different. Yeah. But it's the same play. Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying. It's like, if I would like to develop a set that I have that type of confidence in. Yeah. That, that, you know, because then you can really work on each performance. But like when you're going and your mindset is maybe this, maybe that, then, you know, like, you know, I'm saying it's for me anyway, it's like, that's hard. And, 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 and I like, I like that. I like to go into a room and then piggyback off of what somebody else read. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, cause like a lot of times that's what it is. It's just like, um, you know, like the guy just before you has everybody rolling, laughing, you know, and you're like, wait a minute, I got something that I can, you know, I can tap into that energy. So, um, you know, so I, I like that freedom, but I would like to develop a set of like, okay, this is like a presentation. I'm going to present, you know, some poems that I feel like represent me. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. I think that's a good note to end on. Can you read a couple things? Sure. Awesome. All right. Thank you. I'm going <laughs> to, I think I'm going to end this and we'll set up a different session for the thing. Okay. Okay. So, uh, what are you going to be reading? Okay. I'm going to read, um, something that reflects what I'm writing now. So, you know, we kind of talked about writing those sucky poems that, that just keep you active and writing for yourself. And, um, one of the recent poems that I've written is called how to make a bed by yourself. Awesome. Okay. How to make a bed by yourself. Begin by pulling off the old bedding. Take the pillows and remove their cases. Take down the comforter, the blanket, top sheet, and the fitted bottom sheet, and see what is left. Stark reality, a mattress. Allow yourself a moment to appreciate any signs of wear. Perchance a lonely dip to one side that shows how you have favored being curled there. If need be, flip or rotate the mattress so that you might allow your weight to be distributed fairly. Then take the fresh linen, spread the fitted bottom sheet, and attend to each corner with the reverence of a prayer. Tuck each rounded end home, and when it is in place, glide your palm smoothly across any wrinkles and see how this foundation, like a blank canvas, is suddenly hopeful. Then take the top sheet and standing at the bottom of the bed, snap it forward, holding your arms outstretched so that it unfurls and floats down like a dream. Smooth and tuck the top sheet as if it is new skin. Return the blanket and the comforter, place fresh pillowcases and return the pillows. Finally, once again, smooth everything under your hopeful palms. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Okay, the next poem, is the one that I uh, mentioned earlier that I wrote for an event at Cal State San Bernardino, which is a fundraiser for African-American students called, it's called the Pioneer Breakfast. And this is the one that I was saying, I kind of had an idea what I wanted to do. And then very close to the deadline, I changed my mind. And it's a, it's a poem called North. North. And this is how we dreamed, one barefoot in front of the other, one desperate soul in front of the other, my hand on your back in the darkness and us bent at the waist as if somehow our very bodies could be bowed into a whisper. And this is how we dreamed, 
near naked, our best rags stowed in a tattered rucksack, packed away safe for that day when we made it north. They said, there's milk and honey up there. They said that they will pay you for your work up there. Babies suckle at their mother's breast, never to be torn away up there north. And this is how we dreamed, secrets hidden in our work songs. We'd sing, steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. Steal away, steal away home. I ain't got long to stay here. And under our breath, a code that told of the day and time for our departure. And this is how we dreamed of going north. We learned to follow the signs, the way the trees bent or where the moss grew. Even our little children understood that to get north, you follow the drinking gourd. Some call it the Little Dipper, home of the North Star, the Pole Star, Polaris, which is always pointing north. And this is how we dreamed. They said that a slave up north is freer than a free Negro in the South, and we believed it. They said that we could learn our ABCs and read and write and arithmetic without fear of being whipped or starved as punishment, and we believed that too. And so bruised and bright-eyed, we climbed and stumbled through wood and thistle, barnyard and swamp, going north, north, always north. We watched for the secret signs of the Underground Railroad. Here and there we met a conductor who provided a cool drink of water and a meal, a place to spend the night. Some even let us safe passages through wood and swamp. Some put us on boats or trains with a prayer of fare thee well and a hopeful hand pointing the way north. And this is how we dreamed, not about a flag or a country, not about vengeance or hate. We dreamed about walking out into the world without someone standing behind us with a whip. We dreamed about speaking up for ourselves having our own voices, our own opinions without fear. And this is how we dreamed. But the reality that we found is that no matter how far north you run, you are still always south of someplace. Perhaps it's just south of our own expectations. Perhaps it's south of opportunity. Perhaps you feel as if you have fallen into that sunken place and you realize that the farthest north you ever made it was Charlottesville with its tiki torch toting good people who came from every corner of this country talking about heritage, lamenting the removal of their monuments to rape, murder, and exploitation. Perhaps you've fallen into that place of gerrymandering, suppressed voting and hate crimes. Perhaps you have found yourself south of the fact that for every Barack Obama, there is a Ben Carson. For every Michelle, there is an Omarosa. For every Colin Kaepernick, there is a Sheriff David Clark. And so perhaps now in 2018, that long journey north was really always about those ancestors who sacrificed everything so that we might look south across the border to starry-eyed neighbors, braving coyotes and deserts, armed with little more than hope and a handful of well-worn rosary beads, trudging one foot in front of the other praying that someone will say, I understand your dream. Maybe in 2018, our journey north was really always about us learning how to look across the ocean at neighbors running from bombed out cities where they have had to dig their loved ones gray bodies out of the concrete rubble of the places they once called home. Maybe our horrible journey was always meant to teach us how to say to them, I understand your dream. Maybe in 2018, our ancestors' desperate journey were really always about us calling up 
our relatives in South Carolina and Ohio and Michigan and asking them, are you registered to vote? Do you have a way to get to the poll? Do you know where your voting poll is? Are you sure that it hasn't been moved? Because we need for them to know that North in 2018 and 2020 is about the flag and is about this country. We are in a political me too moment and we are saying time's up. And so yes, this is how we dreamed. One barefoot in front of the other, near naked, our best rags stowed in a tattered rucksack, packed away safe for that day when we made it north. Awesome. <laughs> I almost made it. <laughs> All right, we did make it. That brings us to the end of our fourth episode of the Inland Valley Art and Literature Show, a community-supported production of IE Publications. Music is provided by Wicker Spigot Multimediums. Show notes and more can be found at iepublications.com slash podcast. I'd like to thank everyone who helped make this episode possible. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>